time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life. Good morning. Good to see you. All right. Are you having a good time? Man, I was just telling Pastor David, that worship was, that was good. Man, it was rich and deep. Did you feel that? Did you realize it was, it was wonderful? Man, I'm just sitting back there and... I just wanted it to go on. It's like, you can have all my time. It was good to see all of you this morning. I, uh, hey, I want to tell you a little bit about myself. I was born in Louisiana. Anybody from here from Louisiana? Come on. Right here, we got the only group we have from Louisiana. All right, so I was born and raised there in Shreveport, North Louisiana, Redneck. And then uh, I moved to a suburb of Louisiana called Texas. Anybody here from the Republic of Texas? Yeah. Got a few Texans. And then three years ago, I came to Colorado. Any Coloradans here? Come on. Now here's what I, here's my, what I tell my Texas and Louisiana friends about Colorado. When the Garden of Eden was in Colorado, you can read this for yourself in the Bible. And when Adam and Eve were kicked out of the Garden of Eden, they had to go to Texas. That's the truth. That's the truth. And I'm just telling you, you read it for yourself. It's right there in the Bible. You read about the Garden of Eden, he's describing Colorado, all right? So welcome to our state. We're glad to have you this morning, all right? Let me tell you something about desperation. Desperation is not some big event, some uh, spiritual show we're trying to put on for you. Quite honestly, we have better things to do with our time than to put on some big show for a bunch of kids from around the country, although we're glad that you're here. What desperation is, is a movement birthed by God and the Holy Spirit to ignite the next generation to get past, to not live out some superficial Christianity, but to be bold and courageous and strong and to take the land that you've been given. That's what desperation is about. And I want you to know this morning that we're not here to have some kind of superficial candy cane Christianity talk this morning. When you come in here to worship, maybe this is your first time to a desperation event and you've wondered what have I gotten myself into. Let me tell you what you've come for, okay? You may have come to be with some friends and that's great. You may have come to get out of the hot climate where you were and to come to Colorado. That's great. But what's going to happen this weekend is God's going to wreck your heart. God's going to take your heart, and he's going to change it, he's going to shift it, something cataclysmic is going to happen inside of you if you let it. And what's going to happen is you're going to leave this three-day experience, and you're going to go back to your place, back to your local church, back to your family, back to your school, and you're not going to be satisfied any longer with living out some superficial, simple Christianity. You're going to be radical. God's going to do something in you. He's going to cause you to look at the world different, to look at him differently and look at everybody around you much, much differently. Do you, do you want to say yes to that this morning? Or that's what I'm about to talk about. I'm dead serious about this next generation. You're the hope. Your God is energizing, doing something in you. And I'm, I'm, I'm your biggest cheerleader. I believe in you. I, I believe God is going to do something in you that's going to cause your generation to go way past my generation. And I'm not that much older than you, by the way, so don't get any ideas. But the point is, my generation, you're going to look, leap past us. You're going to run past us. You're going to do greater things. But let me tell you something that causes almost everyone to stop short of what God has for them in their lives. 
The number one thing, one of the, one of the primary things that keeps people from being the bold, radical believer that I'm trying to describe is not necessarily sin. A lot of people say, well, it's sin or some kind of lust or some kind of thing that gets in your heart. That is, by the way, that will corrupt you and it will contaminate you. But what I'm talking about this morning is good old-fashioned fear, being afraid, not, not having this boldness, not having, being willing to be shrink back and not be everything that God has for you. So this morning, I want to talk to you about the rules for war. How many of you know we're in a fight? This is why I'm calling you to something that's not superficial, because if you stay in that place, you're going to die. You ever seen the, the opening scene from Saving Private Ryan? It's, it's where these, these soldiers are coming off of these, uh, these PT boats, and, and the, the thing goes down, and they're running up on the beach, and the, the Nazis have the beach totally uh, surrounded with gunfire, and they're just pounding the American forces. And, and Tom, Tom uh, who is it, Tom Hanks, Tom Hanks is one of the, the captains. And so they're all, they're all cowered down behind stuff because they're just getting killed left and right, people on both sides of them. By the way, I had an uncle on o- Omaha Beach in World War II, one of my uncles. He, he, he rushed the, the shores of Omaha Beach. So he tells me that, you know, I can see him as a young man running up on those shores and bullets are flying and bombs are exploding. People are, are being killed. And Tom Hanks says something in that movie that, that every time I see it, it, it reminds me of this. And he said, we cannot stay on this beach. If you stay here, we're going to die. Well, it made perfect sense to the rest of those soldiers to stay right there hidden behind something that would keep them from being fired on. But Tom Hanks and his character had some wisdom there. He says, if you stay here, we're going to die. We got to charge the beach. We got to take the ground. We got to advance on the enemy. We got to move forward or we're going to die. And so this morning, I want you to take you to a Bible story that's much like that in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Very familiar story. By the way, how many of you believe we're really in a fight, though? I mean, let's settle that question first. John 10.10 says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. It says in 1 Peter that we have that the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So the scriptures throughout from Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation talk about an enemy that is opposing us that not only wants to hurt us. Listen, the devil wants to kill us. He wants to steal everything we have. He wants to kill us physically and spiritually, and he wants to destroy everything that we've built. That's his plan. And that plan has not changed. From the moment he came to the earth, the moment he was kicked out of heaven, his plan has been the same. Steal everything you have, kill your soul and body, and destroy everything you've worked to build. That's his plan. And and the way he does that is by making us afraid, fearful. He, He wants you to... He wants you to lose courage. And this is the whole point of the story between David and Goliath. It is a story, a cool story about a young boy and a big giant. It is a cool story about a slingshot killing a big warrior. But that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is something much deeper. 1 Samuel 17 verse 8 says, Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel. Now if you never really heard this story that the Philistine army is on one mountain, one, um, on one hill. There's a big valley. On the other side is the, the army of Israel. And they're, and they're looking at each other. And they know at some point the two armies are going to come down into this valley and a big fight is going to happen. But until then, the Philistines simply want to uh, take the courage out of the army of Israel. And so this big man named Goliath would come down in the valley. And some people think he was probably about nine foot tall. And the Bible says he had six fingers on each hand. Now think about it. This is a, this is a bad boy. This is a bad guy. 
And he would come down with all of his stuff on, his big sword, his big spear, his shield in front of him. And he would yell to the army of Israel. And what he was trying to do, he was trying to scare them. He was trying to convince them not to fight. And he says, why don't you come down and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you, are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man. Now notice that, underline that, notice that. He said, choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you'll become our subjects and you'll serve us. Then the Philistine said, this day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a, say it out loud with me, give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Notice that all, nothing had happened. No fighting had happened yet. Just some big guy yelling at them. Come on, send somebody down here. And the entire army frozen in fear. Let me ask you a question. You ever been bullied? I mean, I'm serious. Have you ever had somebody bully you? You ever been punched in the mouth? You ever had somebody threaten your life? When I was about, I think I was trying to remember, I think I was in the eighth grade. It was the first time I, got, I was robbed at knife point. It was the first time it happened. And I was at, the, I was at my school carnival. <laughs> I was a junior high eighth grader. In, I was living in East Texas. And I was in a, at a carnival and I'd won a bunch of stuff. You know, shooting basketballs, throwing darts, doing all this stuff. And I had a bunch of stuffed toys and something. I'd, I had three or four things that I'd won. And I'm walking out to my parents' car to put my stuff in the car and I feel a knife blade in my ribs. And he, the guy said, give me all your stuff. So I gave him all my stuff. That's a pretty wise move, don't you think? Looking back, I don't regret this at all. I gave him my stuff. Now I turned around, and it was a guy in my class. This is a class of 20 people. I knew this guy. His name was Lance Rash. It's funny how 20 years later, I can remember a guy that robbed me. I don't know what prison cell Lance is in today. I'm sure he's probably some in some prison. I hope he's listening to the Desperation Podcast. Lance, if you'll write me a letter, I'll send somebody to visit you. Because this guy was a bad kid. He had a knife in my ribs and took all my stuff. Eighth grade. I was at the same school in ninth grade year. And I, I made the junior varsity baseball team. But about halfway through the varsity season, half of the team got thrown off the varsity. And I got called up from the junior varsity... And I was a starting center fielder on the varsity baseball team as a ninth grader. Well, that was a good thing. I was pretty prideful about that. But the problem was some of the older guys didn't like the fact that a freshman was starting. And so one afternoon when the coach had already gone up to the gym and we were picking up all the bats and the balls and all the stuff. And if, because I was a freshman, guess who got to drag all the equipment to the gym every day? Well, it was me. All the freshmen had to do that. And so... I'm picking all the stuff up, and a group of guys grab me, a group of older guys, juniors and seniors, grab me and put a rope around my neck. And they held my hands behind my back, and they drug me for about 50 yards up a hill with my neck in a, in a rope. The whole time I'm being drugged, and I was about a buck 30, I was about 130 pounds as a freshman, and I've put on a small human being since then, but, I, but about a buck 30 in high school. A small guy, red hair, freckles. I was, I was a target for bullies. Now they had me, my hands behind my back, a rope around my neck, 
dragging me up the hill. And I thought, I, I really thought I was going to die. I thought they, either they were going to break my neck, which would kill me, or I was going to, I couldn't breathe because the rope was so tight. And I thought, I'm, I'm going I'm to die right here. This is where I'm going to die. Finally, they let the rope loose. And I got, I have this rope burn mark all around my neck like I'd been hung. I had been hung quite literally. I almost died. Just, so this big red scab mark around my neck. And I was terrified. I mean, I'm just, a, I'm, I'm 130 pounds against these big kids. I, I couldn't defend myself. And I'm, I'm embarrassed. I mean, I'm ashamed. You know, if, if, you're, if you're a guy, it's embarrassing and it's shameful because you don't want to be intimidated. You don't want to be bullied. It, 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 to be on the receiving end of being bullied, it demoralizes you. It takes everything out of you. And I, I felt embarrassed. So I went home and I, I put my collar on, you know, I, I wrapped my, my collar around my neck. So my dad, you know, my dad was a, my hero. My dad was, you know, the guy that I looked up to. And I didn't want my dad to see that burn mark around my neck. So I, I remember buttoning my collar up and just going home hoping, you know, how you are when you're a ninth grader. You think your neck's going to heal in a couple of hours. Well, that's going to I mean, it left a scar around my neck. And so that night, coming out of the shower or whatever, I was in my, going to my room, my, my brother saw it. And he went and told my dad. My dad came to me and said, want me to look at it. And he sees this big red bloody thing around my neck. And he made me tell him. And he said, Dad, I told, I told him what happened. A group of boys grabbed me, Dad. I couldn't do anything about it. I couldn't fight them off. I would, they, they grabbed me. They put a rope around my neck. I thought I was going to die, Dad. You know, and, you know, just don't say anything, Dad. Well, my dad got up the next morning and he said, Brady, I'll never forget this. This is a, a memory I'll carry the rest of my life. He said, Brady, you're going to stay home today. You come to school later. I'm going to school. Now, I don't know to this day. My dad passed away about five years ago. And I don't really know what he said to the coach and to the principal. All I know is I was never bothered again. And I remember, I remember going to the school and the principal and the coach treating me like a rock star from the rest of the year. I mean, think about it. In, in 2010, I would have owned that school. I would have been set for life. I would have owned the school district. Back then, in Redneck East Texas, no, that was kind of a common thing for people to be lynched. You know, especially redheads, little skinny ones like me. And so I remember my dad defending me. And I remember something that happened in my 15-year-old heart that day. I made an inner vow as a 15-year-old boy to never be bullied again. Now, I, I, uh, I'm here today to call something out of some of you. And I think it's a big, big group of you that something has intimidated you and you've been bullied either by a person or by some kind of spiritual thing that the devil himself, some demonic thing that's bullied you. And in your heart, you're ashamed of it, but you're still afraid. And I'm calling out of you today some courage. Stand up. And not long after that, there was this big kid. His name was Shane Williams. I can't remember my, any of my friends, but I can remember all the people who bullied me. But Shane, Shane was just a big old punk kid. You know, and he was one of those ninth graders that looked like he was 30. Remember those guys? You know, they already had like a full beard in the ninth grade. You thought he maybe had three or four kids probably somewhere. 
That was the chain. And again, I'm 130 pounds. I'm a, I'm, I, I, he's a big, this kid weighed 200 pounds if he weighed an ounce. And every day he would come out, right after lunch, we'd have this kind of a free time. We'd stand around and talk after lunch at the school. And he would come to me and he'd say, Brady, I'm going to kick your, and then he would, you just make up the word. That's what he would tell me. If you don't know that word, don't ask, all right? And I'm glad you don't know that word. But he would say that to me every day. Now, he would never really hit me, but he'd kind of push on me a little bit, just intimidate me like that. I'm going to kick you. And he, he got a big kick out of seeing me kind of shrink back a little bit. I told my dad about it. My dad said, well, Brady, I don't, you're going to have to fix this one yourself. Here's what you do. Now, I remember having a clothesline in my backyard. You know how two poles and a wire between it where you hung your clothes up, you know? And my dad put a, 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 like a big sack of sand about the same distance height that Shane's face would be. He said, now, Brady, this is really bad parenting, by the way, okay, moms and dads. He said, now, Brady, before he gets that last word out of his mouth, I want you to reach down as far back as you can, and I want you to hit him. He told me right at the spot to hit him. It's right here. You want to end the fight real quick, it's right there. You hit him around the end of the nose and the top of the mouth, the fight's over almost every time. This is really good pastoring I'm giving you today, okay? This is stuff, this is really good advice I'm giving you, all right? So my dad told me, you just preach back, and I want you to hit him right there, Brady. He's all you can before he gets that last word out of his mouth. All right, Dad. The next day, on cue, Shane Williams walks up to me and says, Brady, I'm going to kick your, and before you get that word out of his mouth, pow! As hard as my 130-pound body could fly fist. I hit him and blood started coming out of his nose. He falls to his knees. He's crying. (laughs) Never, ever again did Shane Williams bother me on the playground. It was like something out of a movie. And I'm not exaggerating this story. It was like something out of a movie. But see, something had changed in my heart. I said, God, I am not going to be bullied again. Well, see, what happens is I only had to hit one guy because word spread around the school that if you bother Brady, you're going to get a bloody nose. Now, Brady might get six or seven punches, but you're going to get some blood. There's going to be some blood on the ground. Brady's not going to run away. And see, really, all bullies want to know is if you stand up to most bullies, most bullies will going to back away. And that's a very dangerous world we live in today. And probably the best advice for you is to walk away. But back in 1982, the best advice was to punch him right in the nose and the mouth. You see, here's, here's the story. Let me give you two rules for war today. We're not, I'm not talking about natural things. I'm talking about stuff that happened when I was a boy. But I'm talking today about spiritual ideas. So God's got this call on your life. You're sitting out in the crowd this morning. And you feel as we were worshiping this morning that God's got this call on you. God's calling you to do something big. Let me tell you what the enemy's going to do. The enemy wants to bully you. He wants to intimidate you. He wants to, he wants to cause you to be afraid, fearful. And, yet, and so we're in this fight. We're in this battle. We're in this war. And the Bible says we're, our, our, we're not warring against flesh and blood. In other words, our, our, our enemies are not people. 
But the Bible says in Ephesians 6 that our enemy, our enemies are spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. They're demonic. They're spiritual in nature. But they have the same mission as Shane and Lance. They want to intimidate you. They want to cause you to be afraid. And so I'm going to give you two rules. Two simple, simple rules. If you want to fight, if you don't want to be bullied anymore, if you don't want to be afraid anymore, here's two rules for war. We find them in this story in 1 Samuel 17. Here's rule number one. Don't be intimidated. Refuse to be intimidated. Satan's greatest weapon is a bluff. That thing, most likely, that's causing you to be afraid is a lie. It's a bluff. It's like Shane Williams. He's, he looks like a 200-pound grown man intimidating you, but when it really comes down to it, 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 it's a bluff. It's a lie. Don't be intimidated. Refuse to be intimidated. Almost three years ago, on this campus, on a Sunday morning, I was in my office. We'd already had a couple of services here in this building. I was upstairs having some lunch with the guest speaker that day. And a young man came on our campus with a thousand rounds of ammunition strapped to his chest, an AR-15 assault rifle, a couple of handguns came here to kill a lot of people. He opened fire in our parking lot and two young girls, two young girls who had come to many desperation conferences, sitting out right where you were, were killed in our parking lot. Before you leave here, I'd like for you to go back out there. It's on that far, it's on the far east side of our property and look at the memorial for Rachel and Stephanie. We have a beautiful, two big blue spruce trees out there. There's a couple of benches out there. There's a rock out there with scriptures on it that were their scriptures that they got while they were a part of this desperation movement. But they died on our parking lot. And I remember sitting in my office, and when the door flew open, I could hear the gunshots right underneath me in the hallway. Pow, 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 pow. And for like a, just a brief moment, I felt terrified. That old feeling of being a 15-year-old, 130-pound target of a bully came back to me. That feeling, I felt Afraid. But after I got on my phone and I called and I realized my wife and my kids were safe, they were already off the campus, something came back to me. I never had a moment of terror since that time. It was only like a few seconds, a few minutes maybe. But then something else changed in me. I remember being in that office and I felt, this is the way I describe it, holy defiance. How dare someone come on our campus and hurt people here. I am not going to be bullied. It was sad. I mean, we, it was the darkest, saddest day of our church life. But a few nights later on a Wednesday night, right here in this building, about 6,000 of us came together and we began to sing this song that John Egan from the Desperation Bandit wrote called Overcome. By the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our testimony, we will overcome and something happened and some of you were here and you remember that night what happened was, it was a, a tribe of people called new lifers had made up our mind that we're not going to be intimidated again we're not going to just walk away and give some demonic spirit our church we were going to stand up we're going to look him in the face and with the authority that christ has given us we're not going to be bullied we're not going to be intimidated we're not going to live our lives like we're afraid all the time. 
We're not going to be governed by fear. Fear is not our master. We are not victims. We are victors. That's what happened here in that room that night. You see, at some point in your life, the enemy is going to come and he wants to, a death blow. He wants to strike a death blow to this call, this thing that God has on your life. He wants to intimidate you. He wants to cause you to be afraid. And then if you ever surrender to that, you'll never do the big audacious thing that God has for your life. You'll settle for superficial Christianity. You'll settle for less when God has something much more. Refuse to be intimidated is rule number one. Here's rule number two. Run to the battle. I've got good news and bad news. The bad news is you're not getting out of the fight. If you're going to serve Christ, it's a war zone. If you've been told anything else, then you haven't been told what's in Scripture. Scripture says it's a war zone. But I got good news. We win. Every time. Every fight. Every time. Every fight. Every time. Every fight. Every time, every fight, we win. Every time, every fight. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? Because I believe it. So this young man named David came onto this scene watching these grown men shrink back in fear. I don't know how old David was. Some people believe he was 15, 16, 17 years old maybe. See, this is not about a young guy with a slingshot. That's part of the story. This is not what this story is about. This is about a young man who would have probably come to something like this, making up his mind that I'm not going to be afraid. So he takes, he goes to all the grown men, people my age, grown-ups, and says to them, I'll go. I'll go out there. Now, When he does go out there, you know what Goliath says to him? Goliath says, remember I told told you to uh, remember this. Goliath told them, send me a man. God sends a boy. (laughs) Because Satan always overestimates what it takes to kick his tail. That was pretty good theology again. Satan always overestimates what it takes to kick his tail. He asks for a man. God sends a boy. Let's pick it up here at verse 45. David said to the Philistine, by the way, this is some of the best Old Testament trash talking you've ever heard what I'm about to read, okay? Did you know there was trash talking in scripture? I'm about to read the best in the Old Testament right here. Listen to this. Verse 45. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, right now, in this fight, the Lord will hand you over to me and I'm going to strike you down. I'm going to cut off your head. I like it when you tell them ahead of time what you're about to do. 
I'm going to strike you down. I'm going to cut off your head today. Today, I'm going to give the carcasses. And he said, I think he raised his voice at this point because he wanted all of the army of the Philistines to hear what he's about to say. I think he may have been pretty loud when he was talking to Goliath. But then when he starts saying this, I think he's really loud. He says, today, I'm going to give the carcasses of the rest of you to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. And the whole world will know that there's a God in Israel. And all those gathered here will know that it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's. Say that with me. The battle is the Lord's. And he will give you all, give all of you into our hands as the Philistine moved closer to attack him. I love this. This is one of my favorite scriptures. David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. David said, I am not afraid. And to prove it, I'm not going to run away from the fight. I'm running to the fight. Because the battle is the Lord's. The battle is his. And this day, he's going to make proof of that. Where did that come from in David? How did, how did such a young boy have that much courage? Because on the backside of the desert, while tending his father's sheep, one day a lion attacked his flock. He killed that lion. And then on another occasion, he said that while tending his father's flock, a bear came and took a young lamb. And David said he took a club, pried the lamb out of the bear's mouth, and beat it over the head with a stick. Now listen, we're in Colorado. Should you see a bear with a small lapdog in its mouth, let him have the lapdog. <laughs> Not good advice. You see, David, David knew God was with him. God was far him. See, a moment ago, this is interesting how the Lord set up this morning for all of us. Pastor David gets up. He has this moment where we say, do you believe your sons? Do you believe God loves you? Do you believe you're a daughter? See, here's the issue that you need to settle this morning. You will never live with the kind of courage I'm describing if you don't think you're a son. See, the reason that I felt the courage to do what I did, because I knew my dad was back home. I felt protected by my dad. My dad was a tough guy, big guy. And I knew if worse came to worse, I was the son of Leland Boyd. And my dad had already proven to me that he would come to my aid. Now, I don't know how, what your natural dad's like. He may not be that kind of guy. But that's not the issue. The issue is your father in heaven is that kind of guy. He is that kind of guy. Now, here's what Jesus said in John 14. He said, he looked at his disciples. And he would say the same thing if he were standing here today. I want to repeat back his words. This is what Jesus said. Many of us will be persecuted. Many of us will be persecuted. Some of us, some of us will go to prison for what we believe. A few of us might very well die for what we believe. Then he says this, 
but I am with you always. I'm going to send my Holy Spirit. I'm not going to leave you like orphans. I'm with you. Many of us will be persecuted. Some of us will be put in prison. A few of us may die for what we believe. But I'm with you. I'm right there with you. And don't fear the person who can harm your body. Don't fear the person who can just take your life. You fear the one who can rob you of your soul. That's what Jesus said. Now, we don't hear a lot of that from most churches because we've watered down Christianity to be some kind of Disney experience. And I'm not against Disney. I like Disney. I've gone to Disney. I'll probably have to go back to Disney. But that's not Christianity. Christian walk is this. We have an enemy. He wants to intimidate you. He wants to kill you. But we have a dad in heaven who bought us with the most precious price. And we are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we have the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. We have all that we need for life and godliness. We win. Every fight. Every time. We win. The only thing required for you to win is two things. Refuse to be intimidated. Run to the fight. And you win. Every time and every fight. Can I pray for you this morning? Can you take a moment right now and look in your, in your own heart? I don't know your heart. And I'm not here to judge your heart. Christ alone and you know if you're afraid of something or not. Now I realize that some of you may have gotten on a van or a bus or something and some of you may actually live in a home where there's abuse happening right now. Some of you may be abused. I'm here today to pray for you. God would not let that fear wreck your heart another moment. Some of you may be at a school right now where there is a person who is a bully, a real bully, a person. So I'm not telling you to go back and punch them in the mouth, all right? Don't do that. But what I am asking you to do is not be afraid another second. Don't be intimidated anymore. Tell somebody so that they can help you. But don't be afraid. Don't let fear come into your heart another second. Don't let fear be your master another second. And there's another group of you that I believe, you, you, you want to believe that God has a big, audacious plan for your life, but you have cowered back instead of charging ahead because it looks too scary. The walk that God's called you to is full of uncertainty, mystery, and risk. This walk that God's called you to is dangerous, mysterious, risky. So it's going to take courage. Do you want some courage? God is here today. I felt so strong about this talk because it's something that I've had to 
wrestle with in my life. So I've had to wrestle so often with this fear, this, this thing that the enemy wants to bully me somehow. And I've watched as God has come time and time again into my life after a shooting on our campus or a group of boys pulling me up a hill with a rope or every time God came to me and gave me courage to stand up. And I'm here today to pray over you because this is a real fight, a real thing that I'm praying over you today. This is not some watered down message where we're trying to make you feel good. I'm trying to, I'm trying to help you rise up and be who God called you to be. And God's here today to fill you with courage and liberate you from fear. Now, I'm going to ask you to do something that's going to require courage. If you know that in your heart that there's fear and fear is may not be your master, but fear is trying to intimidate you. Something's trying to intimidate you. Something's trying to cause you to be afraid. I'm going to ask you to stand up and come down. I want you to get out of your seat right now. Stand up right in front of all the people around you. It's going to take courage. It's going to take something in you. But you stand up, come on. As a declaration that I am not afraid. As a declaration that I am not afraid. Come on. Come on, just lift your hands toward heaven right now. And God, as you come down, just lift your hands up like this. The Lord is here today. To fill your heart, your mind, your soul with courage, courage, courage. Come on, everybody else stand in the building. Everybody else stand around there right now. Let's begin to worship the Lord this morning. Father in heaven, thank you so much. You are with us. You are for us. You're not far away. You are near to us today. Father in heaven, we, we pray right now. I bind and break off and loose fear from our lives right now. In the matchless, wonderful name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I take authority over fear in every heart and every mind and every soul, including my own. In Jesus' name, be gone. Do not return. Be gone. In Jesus' name, fear, be gone. Courage, come in. Fear, be gone. Courage, come in. Strength from heaven, come forth. Strength from heaven, come forth in our lives. Fear, be gone in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Come on, pray that over yourself. You have the same authority I have. In Jesus' name, fear, be gone. In Jesus' name, fear, be gone. Courage, come forth. Courage from heaven, fill our soul. Courage from heaven, fill our soul. Fear, be gone in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Come on. Come on, pray boldly. Be strong now. Come on, I'm asking you to be a people of strength and courage right now. Pray it out right now. Fear be gone in Jesus' name. Fear be gone. Courage, courage. Courage from heaven. Strength from heaven fill our souls. We will not be afraid. We will not fear. We will not be afraid. Come on, say that out loud like you mean. I will not be afraid. I will not fear. I will not fear. I will not be afraid. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now we're going to sing a song in just a minute. Before we did, let me tell you what would happen. In the Old Testament, when an army, the army of Israel would go out. You can read the stories yourself. But oftentimes they were outnumbered 10 to 1. 
The other army would have more spears, more chariots, more horses, and more soldiers. But they had God. That's why those stories are important to read, because they had something that it didn't matter about the others, the size of the other army. They had God. And so here's what they would do. They would worship. The Levites, the worship leaders, would come before the army, and they would worship together. They would cry out to God. And then at the end of the song, when they would sing these songs, the army would give this shout. And and the shouting was not just to work up some kind of energy or emotion. The shout was a spiritual thing. Read read, Read it for yourself in the Bible. Shouting is a spiritual act of defiance toward the enemy. What they were saying was, it doesn't matter how many horses you have, how many spears you have, we have the living God inside of us. And we're going to shout it out. And over time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did. Because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. They've got a vision and a mission for their life.